all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. September is Hunger Action Month. Mississippi has one of the highest rates of food insecurity in the nation. What does that mean and what are the consequences? How can we have one of the highest rates of obesity and one of the highest rates of food insecurity? Today we'll talk about how and why that happens in a group who aims to change both. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and today we're talking about Hunger Month. Um, September is Hunger Action Month. Now, Mississippi is one of the sta- one of the states with the highest rate of food insecurity. So, what does that mean? What does food insecurity mean? We're going to talk a little bit about that today, but also we're going to talk about the consequences of that food insecurity. The other thing I want to talk about, because I think most of our listeners know that Mississippi has one of the highest rates of obesity. In fact, this year, it looks like we're tying with West Virginia. So how in the world can we be food insecure, have so many of our children hungry, and still have high obesity? Well, we can make that link, and we'll talk about it today and talk about what we need to do about it. Now, this, you may be wondering, why are we talking about food insecurity and obesity and, relatively speaking, our family matters? And the reason we are is because it affects the entire family. And as we talk more, you'll see. Um, Today I want you to meet a group who is working hard to make a difference in this area. But before we get to them, I want to just give you a few facts that you need to know. About 16.6 million children in the U.S. face hunger every day. And our surrounding states, by the way, you listeners from Alabama and Louisiana and Tennessee, you know that you too have the same issues that Mississippi does. So even though the rates may be just a little bit different, your problems are the same, I promise you. Um, 
by national average, about 20% of all children have some sort of hunger or food insecurity. In some states, like ours, like um, Alabama and Louisiana, up to a third of children have difficulty finding food for every meal. We know that minorities are worse off. Hispanics, um, African-American families have a greater difficulty. Single-parent families have a greater difficulty in um, not just finding food but finding the right nutrition. Um, Undernutrition is something that I really want us to talk about today because it is another form of malnutrition. And undernutrition can be part of even overeating, Uh, eating foods that are too high in fat and sugar, uh, very high in carbohydrates. Instead of eating those foods that um, are good complex carbohydrates that have good minerals and vitamins in them. So there's some reasons behind that, and as we move along, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. And as we move through this, I really would love for you to call in and talk to us about why you think we have the problems that we do. Did you ever face hunger as a child? Do you struggle at na- struggle with that now? Do you struggle sometimes with making sure you have the right food on the table? For your children, depending on where you live, you might. And it might even be that you can buy the food, but you have difficulty finding the right foods. Why do you think that is? Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Okay, now I want to bring in our guest, one organization that's really gaining a lot of attention in food justice, in the food justice scene in Mississippi, now is So Reap Feed. And today we have the creators of So Reap Feed, Keith and Lauren Elliott, and we have Leanne Blaylock, the community outreach coordinator. So thank you to you all for being here. We really appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for having us. So, um, we've kind of kind of laid the groundwork on the uh, food insecurity, the hunger issues. Um, Keith, you were telling me why, right before the show that upwards of 160,000 Mississippians face problems with hunger and food insecurity. 160,000 children in Mississippi, children. actually. Yeah. So I mean, the number uh, statewide is is closer to 600,000. Which is just staggering to me. Um, so tell me how, Keith, how you and Lauren came to um, establish So Reap Feed. What is it? What exactly is it? Tell us a little bit about it and how you think this may help uh, stamp out some of the issues that we have with the food insecurity and hunger. Well, So Reap Feed, uh, we're a nonprofit and we're established to. Um, to fight hunger and food insecurity here in the Jackson area. Um, we started back when we were in Nashville just by growing a garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we liked the idea of being able to just kind of experiment with plants and food and figure out uh, what we could grow and uh, what we could 
uh, what we could kill in Tennessee, which apparently is pretty easy. We found out really quickly how to kill a lot of plants, which taught us how to grow those <laughs> things a little better. Um, but one Been of the there. things yeah. that we that we did was we just had this. If you've ever grown a garden, you know you end up with this just super abundance of food. So we started just giving it away mm-hmm. to the local children's home that was uh, right around the corner from our garden and to some of the food pantries, and very quickly found that they had a lot of shelf stable foods, but they didn't have uh, fresh foods, produce that uh, people were looking for, right. um, and for for good reason. I mean, you can't stock you can't stock bell peppers for very long um, right. before they go bad. So, we started doing that kind of distributing food, and people started asking us a little bit more about, hey, could we get maybe this or that or or what? And we started thinking, well, maybe this is something that we can look into and maybe help people uh, engage with their food a little bit more and start to get the kinds of foods that they need to to live a healthy and active lifestyle. So uh, I think a lot of people in our area have heard of community gardens. This is a bit different. Is that correct? It is. It's a little bit different. So nationwide, we've we've studied a lot of the community garden models that are out there, and they have a really high failure rate. Um, a lot of the people who get them started, uh, they can rally folks around them. It's really exciting at first. Everybody likes the idea of planting seeds, but then when it comes time to weeding them, Uh, Not so much fun. People don't show up as much. And then when that person moves or gets sick and goes into the hospital or whatever it may be, um, there's not a leader to stand up and and take over the garden. So our model is built more around what we call micro farms. So we take these, we're on a quarter acre model. Uh, It's about the size of a really big community garden, but we run it like a farm. So we have planting schedules and we've got uh, where we nursery all of our plants and we take over the management of the growing within a community. And so we involve the community, we bring them out, we get them plugged in and uh, teach them a little bit about growing food and how to grow uh, things that they like. And uh, then, you know, they're involved in it and they take the food home and uh, it becomes a garden for the community, but not as much a, a community run garden. It allows us to be there to kind of. So, right. It's like any project I've ever had. You have to have some to, somebody to run it, even our book program. Um, once our administrator of our Reach Out and Read book program left, the program kind of fell apart until it began to be have resurgence because we have somebody who can run it again. And I, I I see the utility of what you've done. Now, one other thing that I think is unique, in a community garden, typically anybody just comes in and can pick out of it, whether they've worked in the garden or not. Um, is your setup a little bit different? I wouldn't say that it's it's different necessarily. We have a lot of folks that come in and, you know, they if they like peppers or they like tomatoes or mm-hmm. beets, whatever it is, uh, they pop in they and they can take some home with them. Um, you know, in a community garden, a lot of times you have this family has this little square this little, and this yeah. family has that square. Well, we just work in one big square. So okay. everybody's kind of contributing to the overall success of the garden as a, as a whole. But yeah. we don't require the community members to work in the garden to receive some of the produce. Okay. So how do you make sure that people are really invested in this? How do you, how how does it work so that people um, really want to be a part and help out and learn how to do it so they can later do it on their own? Well, we find that people really buy in quickly. Uh, They get out there, they get excited about it. 
and they've put a little bit of effort in at the front end, and the last thing they want to do is bail out on it and uh, not show back up to see it succeed. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we go to our first break, I want to go to our first caller. We have Belle in Yazoo City. Hi, Belle. Thanks for starting us off. Well, good morning. Um, I had thought about this last week, and then I heard your topic today, and uh, I have an idea, um, not researched, but I was wondering if maybe, uh, like through food stamps or some other program, or if maybe the Mississippi Department of Agriculture could give like a hoe and some seeds to people who have a little patch of ground in their yard and grow some of their own things. My grandfather died at age 43, and my grandmother did have, uh, she had three children, and she turned a lot of her backyard into a garden. And um, so they, and, and they grew their own complex carbohydrates, like mm-hmm. tomatoes and snap mm-hmm. beans and things like that. And uh, I'll, I'll listen to you off the phone. Great, great and points. Thank you, thank you for letting me call. Bye. Bye, Belle. Thanks for calling in. And you brought up several good points. And and I have some comments. Keith, you looked like you had a comment to that pretty quickly. Y'all, you and Lauren were both nodding. There are some there are some incentive programs, I believe, mm-hmm. with the Department of Agriculture. Um, I don't know exactly how far that goes down into things like tools and seeds, but there are programs out there that are independently sponsored that will feed back seeds and plants to folks in communities that are trying to get things up and going. And that's one of the things that we are doing as well. We, we nursery more plants than we need so that we can uh, give them to folks that need them. And, um, you know, there are seed programs available for communities that want to start uh, either community gardens or things in their in their space. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I don't know anything about supplanting food stamps and being able to to buy, like, plants, to be able to plant in your garden rather than, than food. That's a really good question. I don't think that's out there yet, um, but something that might be interesting to explore. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know we need to go to our first break, so what we'll do is go to our first break, and when we'll come back, we'll talk a little bit more about maybe some ideas and and maybe our history and how we grew up with gardens. Um, we want you to join us. We're talking about food insecurity, how you can combat that, hunger, how you can combat that. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress with a Mindful Minute. Children grow up so fast, before you know it, they'll be starting kindergarten. A good way to watch for school readiness is to mark developmental milestones like talking in sentences, counting, writing, and playing well with others. Positive adult-child relationships are key to helping children meet these milestones. You already have the tools you need. Talking, singing, and reading are fun ways to help children learn and thrive. One way to celebrate these special moments is to use a milestone checklist. 
Healthcare providers are also a great resource to help make sure your child's on the mark and ready for the next step. Examples of developmental milestones, fun family activities, and additional resources can be found at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. song. We are actually talking about good nutrition, healthy gardens. How can we combat food insecurity and obesity, combat hunger, and at the same time promote incredibly great nutrition? Um, We have a group, So Reap Feed, um, with us today, and uh, Lauren and Keith Elliott and Leanne Blaylock are here today talking about their program and and what they have to offer and what maybe uh, you can think about offering to your community as as this can expand across the state. Um, just as we move into this, there are a couple of things I want to bring up. When I was growing up, now everybody knows I'm older, I'm in the senior category, but as I was growing up, both of my grandparents had gardens, fairly large gardens, um, and they honestly, uh, we had all the fresh produce we needed. I had a, a grandmother who had eight children, and um, I dare say she fed all of her children with that. Uh, they had their chickens too and I won't tell stories about the chickens but um, you know so we had eggs and chickens and and fruits and vegetables and at the same time they they ran a business. My other grandmother, grandparents um, in another state in Louisiana actually uh, also had a garden Um, and they also had birds Uh, so they it it just seemed p- that people were very self-sustaining. Now, my grandparents in Louisiana who had a garden had a grocery store that their family owned. So it wasn't that, you know, it, it was just the way people lived back then. I guess my question is, what happened? Why did we stop? Leanne, do you have some thoughts about that? What made us stop growing gardens? Why did we give that up? We talk about that um, a lot, about the fact that like our grandparents and our parents grew up on farms, um, and then over time, they didn't want to shuck another ear of corn. They didn't want to pick any more peas. Um, so they, and then they moved their families, and they moved their families into cities, and they didn't want to have their kids do what they said they never want to do again. I see. Yeah. Um, so, and then mm-hmm. as as a result of that, over time, um, now there's not as much access yeah. to those um, gardens in people's backyards. And um, so yeah. there's just a disconnect from food now where 
where my grandparents grew up and lived on a farm, and then my parents knew how to garden, um, but then, which my parents did raise me with a garden, but a lot of people in that age, their parents didn't. And so now they don't even have the connection of where their food comes from. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that because that's exactly what happened to me. Um, My grandparents were the one that instilled the love of gardening and raising things in me. Um, Neither of my parents, though awesome parents, neither were even remotely interested in gardening. Daddy was interested in making sure the yard looked nice, and he would work in the work in the yard. But he, you know, he was not one who who planted vegetables at all. And so that's interesting. And it was probably because they really did have to work hard in their gardens, and it was more like work. Um, so but then there wasn't as much of a need once they exactly because there were grocery stores and there were more shelf stable foods that they could just go pick up and keep in their pantry. Right. Um, so so the, there were the some need wasn't there as right. much to grow their own food. Right. And also think about how people's lives look different on a day to day basis now. Um, they are running to get their kids to practice after school. Right. And so they're running by somewhere and grabbing something. So I think that we've made ourselves so busy in our culture in our lives, that we, we think time. we don't have time. But we, we think. That's right. We, yeah. we don't leave enough time for these types of things. That's right. Well, let's go on back to the phones. We have, is it Iman? Yes. Hi, Iman on the road. Okay. I hope you're being very careful as you're talking to us, right? Yes, I am. I'm using a Bluetooth. Good. So what are your thoughts? Talk to us. Well, my thought is since October is coming up and we have Halloween going on, uh, and uh, I just read a study that shows that there's an estimation of $575 million in the States being spent on pumpkins just to carve them and pretty much go to waste. That might help children that are hungry. Hmm. Wow. That's a lot of money being spent on pumpkins. And and you see that around our state all the time, thousands and thousands of pumpkins out there that that could make great food, right? That's true. Yeah. And even if we just reallocated some of those some of those monies to, you know, other edible type programs too. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Or if we, instead of carving our pumpkins, just put outside for decoration and then thought about donating them to a food kitchen for cooking or something like that, uh, that might be another idea. Um, I don't know, Eamon. Did you have any thoughts about what to do with it? Well, you can go either the road of uh, using the pumpkin itself to help people or instead of buying that pumpkin for $3.75, just donate that $3.75 to an organization that actually helps feed kids. Wow. Mm -hmm. Another great idea. You may be onto something there, Iman. (laughs) (laughs) We'll set up a pumpkin channel. Well, you know, we we always we talk about there's so many good people out there doing great things like so reap feed, and and there there are so many great thoughts. And if we could all just put our thoughts together and try to make sure that that we really, if you have a great thought out there, Amen, maybe implement it. Maybe you could get 
perhaps your church or your school community or some, you know, friend group out there who could promote exactly what you said and to donate that that money to your local food kitchen. I know we have in in this metropolitan area, we have um, Stew Pot and many other great, our daily bread um, in our area, Madcap. There are so many great people out there trying to do good. So I think you, yeah. like Keith said, you really may be on to something. My wheels are turning. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that call. Well, thank you, guys. All right. Listeners, we have open lines. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can call. You can email us and uh, leave an email at family at mpbonline dot org. So, as you know, I think that we have programs out there. We have WIC. We have um, food stamp programs. We have TANF. We have other programs that are going on out there trying to help combat some of this hunger and food insecurity. Um, Keith, uh, Leanne, Lauren, in your work, have, do, you, do you feel like there might be some changes that need to happen in those systems or some tweaking that perhaps may make it better? Because I know a lot of times people, because some of those things that are not as nutritious, simple har- carbohydrates and things like that, are cheaper. So we buy rice. We buy flour, we buy potatoes, those things that are so much cheaper, beans, which are good for you. But, you know, unfortunately, there's so much simple carbohydrate in those white foods, as I call them, um, that people spend their food stamp monies on bread, white bread. It's way cheaper than whole grain bread. Um, How do we turn that around? What can we do? Well, I think one of the things that we like to look at is culture and community. And we see communities across the state really as just microcultures within the state of Mississippi. Um, But really, a a lot of the communities aren't demanding those types of foods, so they're not showing up in retail spaces. So as a a person who owns a store, you're not going to stock the kinds of things that you're having to stock around, you're having to move that may be getting stale on the shelf. So um, we look at it as an opportunity to kind of bolster up the communities and educate them and and create some demand within the communities. Um, At the top level, there are some great organizations around the state who are doing some really good work in uh, food justice. The Mississippi Center for Justice has a great team that's working working on some legislation, trying to get um, more benefits for fresh foods um, and getting foods into communities that, that need them. Um, but it is, I mean, there's a, there's a big system out there that we're kind of fighting against, uh, whether it's demand, whether it's, um, you know, the different limitations of SNAP. Um, there are some programs out there that are really great where at farmer's markets you can double your money uh, on fresh produce. So, you know, you can make $10 of SNAP go $20 of produce, which is really great. That's, that's starting to kind of generate some interest and get people excited about it. That sounds awesome, yeah, to really get get going on something like that. Okay, I'm being told we need to take our next break, and when we get back, we'll get to Timothy from Louisiana on the line. Hang on, Timothy, don't leave us. Um, we're talking about 
food insecurity. We're talking about hunger and why that can factor into obesity. Um, we're talking about how can we get the fresh produce on the shelves and how can we get people to make sure that they buy it when it's on the shelves so that our grocery store owners don't have to throw away good food. And we'll talk about all of that and more when we come back. Um, you can give us a call to join in at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And today we're talking about food insecurity, hunger, obesity, and how we can combat that with urban gardens, with community gardens, um, and all. We're talking about um, a term food insecurity and uh why don't we define that just a little bit better before we go back to the phones um timothy hang on um kate tell us just quickly what food insecurity really is so the the definition um is the lack of access to the types of food a person needs to live a healthy and active lifestyle um that's the the formal definition and how it's recognized. But in reality, that's just are you are you financially able to obtain healthy foods? Uh, are you geographically like close to places that provide those foods? Um, are you mobile enough to go out and get them? Right. Uh, food insecurity looks a it looks a lot different for a lot of different people. Um, it could be elderly. It could be uh, college students. It could be um, folks who just live in parts of town that don't have fresh foods around exactly great thanks okay off to timothy hi timothy in louisiana thanks for calling ma'am good morning to y'all good morning um i was thinking about the, the guy with the pumpkin statement you know yeah uh and you know pumpkins evolved here in north and south america and central america as well if you go to any Mexican store, you'll find the seeds for sale, roasted and spiced, and call them papitas. Uh-huh. Okay? And in Africa, look up Botswanan um, pumpkin stew. Okay? And they're very proud of their beef in Botswana and their pumpkins. And they'd combine the two and eat it as a savory dish. And mm. right there in Jackson is a grocery store, at least there was 10 years ago. It's been a while since I've been over. But there was an African grocery store that had all the spices necessary to make it. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Sounds really good. Another good use of those Halloween pumpkins. Yes, and save the seeds. Just pull them out, put them in a colander, and wash them up, and then roast them. That's another good one, huh? Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Sounds Botswana. Say it again. Botswana. Botswana pumpkin stew. Pumpkin stew. Okay. First thing you do is you grill some beef. That is to cook it on a a grill. And then um, while that's cooking, you roast the pumpkin. 
Okay. And then you dig out the meat out of the pumpkin, and you take it and uh, mash it up with a potato masher and spice it and add some cream to it. Well, it sounds okay. like you need to you need to call into our cooking show on uh-huh. on Monday morning. Um, what time's dinner, Timothy? Yeah, everyday dining. Right. It sounds well, great. I'll cook it up and bring it over to y'all. <laughs> now you got me. All right, sounds good, Timothy. But I think what you're doing is you're pointing out that there are so many different ways that you can turn. Um, these fruits and vegetables that we can grow in our own yards, on our own land, um, even in pots. So I know there are people out there who say, I live in an apartment. Um, I can't grow anything. And, um, Keith, in a minute, I want us to talk about what you can do in pots um, also. But let's go on to Buddy, who's been hanging on for a, a while in Natchez. Hi, Buddy. Thanks for calling. Hey, I'm fixing to hit an area I don't have much of a signal, but I was just going to say that people that got uh, can find a good deal at the store for uh, any kind of vegetables or anything aren't people that have crops that are just more than what they can eat right now. They need to can those. Mm-hmm. Buy the vegetables at a good price at the grocery store, take them home and can them. If you've got a bumper crop of something you're raising or your neighbor's raising, can it then you'll have it in the future i was an appliance service man for 40 years and seen so many people that had a freezer to go out and they lose their, their food that they had in that freezer but the people that had them canned opened the door to the pantry and it looked like a grocery store in there so you can put that food up a later date and it'll be good and you can make good use out of a good deal at the grocery store those are some really good points. And, you know, Buddy, one thing that I have learned, um, because now you can Google anything and you can find out how to can, even if you, I did, I never learned how to can um, from my grandmothers. They, they did it, but I never did. And several years ago, I, we had sort of a bumper crop of tomatoes and cucumbers, and so I just pulled out my little laptop, and I looked up, had a can, and I went, oh, I can do this. It's doable. Not impossible, right, Keith? Absolutely. You know, that's something that we want to see more of, but we're finding out that a lot of people don't have any idea even where to start. I mean, kind of mm-hmm. like you're saying, but uh, I grew up around it. My mom used to make bread and butter pickles, and I remember as a kid one time we had these big yellow buckets, like five-gallon buckets of cucumber slices and stuff in my in my kitchen and we used to make uh, jellies at my grandparents house from our garden there so i mean there was a there's a lot of different things that we can do with a lot of garden produce to keep it from going bad uh, that's that makes it shelf stable and it's still got a good nutrient value i've seen people put up deer meat and, and uh you know pork and things like that in cans so they had meat all during the year and if you don't want to heat up your kitchen, go out in your carport and get your out, get your uh, turkey cooker out there, fire it up, use a coffee, coffee table or a card table next to you to put your things on and heat up outside, not heat up your house. Because I know that electric bill will get up high when you go to Canada. Mm-hmm. It sure does. That's a really good point. So learning ways to not just grow the food, but also when you have an abundance and you've shared it with those you need to share, um, then to be able to save it for the winter. Because many people um, are not always on a stable income, and so they may 
have plenty of money at one month and then the next month for whatever their their job has waned a bit and this would be a good way to sort of sustain yourself over well for christmas you could give somebody four quarts of uh venison or you know four quarts of pickled pigs uh i mean uh spiced pickles or things you know that makes good christmas presents and you know special occasion presents and things people always love to get something to eat Mm -hmm. Well, they do, and, you know, that's another way to save money for the family. And also, let's pull kids into this. To to start having children, and I know you, you guys do that with So Reap Feed, that you, you, you encourage children. I know your sons are there often. You encourage them to participate in the growing and the love of the land and what to do and how to give to others and give back, and that's so important, too. Well, I've had two wonderful daddy-in-laws, and I made a deal with both of them. I told them, I said, I can keep all your things working in your house, the washing machine, dishwasher, stove, air conditioner, all that stuff. If you just keep me fed, don't ask me to get out there and get in the dirt. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great deal both times. It sounds like a good deal, buddy. Thanks so much for calling. We appreciate it. And well, you know, enjoy your show. Thank you. You know, Buddy brought up such a good point that gardening is not for everybody. There are some people out there who are completely um, heat intolerant and and can't stand the sun, even with all the cover that they have, and that's okay. But we just have enough have to have enough of our community to be able to participate in something like this to make it work. And there are plenty of people out there, and like I said, I know there are kids out there who who would love it. They're teenagers who honestly would love to have something to do. Um, We need to get them off their electronics and out into the sun a little bit with sun protection, obviously. But to to, I, I dare say our obesity rate would drop significantly if we just got kids out there helping out and adults. You know, that's where I get a large part of my exercise now is getting out in the yard. That's right, for sure. And one of our biggest um, volunteer bases has actually started kind of shifting towards teenagers. One of our lead volunteers, he's kind of our you know assistant farmhand, I guess technically. Um, he is 16. He came out to us at 15 needing to get some volunteer hours for school and realized that he just enjoyed the work being done. And so he logged his volunteer hours within the first like three weeks of being out there and then stayed the rest of the summer, came in for the fall uh, after school. And he called me the other day and he's like, Hey, I'm ready to get back out. And um, we've got another uh, kid from a local school who's kind of taking the same, taking the same thing on. And we're actually located behind a school where, you know, we love to have, we love the idea of having kids in the rows because when we get kids out there, you know, they'll say in one breath, oh, I don't like tomatoes. And then you turn around three minutes later and they've got a tomato in their hand and they're eating it. And just there's something about being there and experiencing it in person that makes it a lot more attainable, like makes tasting things uh, fun, makes it a, a challenge that they like to they like to take on. 
Well, you know, and you brought something up. How many people do you know that say, I don't like any tomato bought in a grocery store. I just love them off the vine from my yard. And, you know, you can taste the difference. And so there might be some people out there who think they had this one tomato that they had one time from a grocery store that had been shipped 500 miles from 500 miles away and picked when it was completely green instead of vine ripened and then you have this awesome tomato they taste completely differently absolutely the same thing goes for strawberries and blueberries and other things and i know we need to go to our last final break but before we do i just want to say that i have participated in a couple of programs that our academy of pediatrics has done some lunch and learn type programs um in rural areas and I'll never forget one time I was there, and there were two little boys who were eating all the strawberries and blueberries that we had brought. And um, one of them looked up. They were like six. And one of them looked up and said, what are these things? They're so good. And I said, they're blueberries, and these red ones are strawberries. And he said, I've never had them before, but they sure are good. It's hard to believe. That should not happen. That should not happen in our southern states, right? Absolutely. So we need to fix it, and I think you are. So we're going to go to our final break. We still have open lines. We'd love to hear from our callers out there. You can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Um, When we come back, we'll keep talking about this fine work that's being done with So Reap Feed. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll return. Ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning and out in the garden, get your ripe ones. Don't get a hard plant them in the spring, eat. Summer, all winter without a culinary bummer. I forgot all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out and pick me a digging. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What a life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money can't buy, and that's true love. Homegrown tomatoes. <laughs> Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with Keith and Lauren Elliott and Leanne Blaylock from So Reap Feed. We're talking about food insecurity, hunger, obesity. They all are linked together. And we are going to go right on back to the phones because I want to make sure we get to our callers. We have Kay in Yazoo City. Hi, Kay. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Great. I was Actually, I was telling um, the producer that I was getting ready to step out of the car, but I called because the last comment you made about uh, six-year-olds not having um, strawberries or blueberries before, which is appalling, it actually happened to myself. Uh, we have a weight program for kids at a, a group of clinics that I work for, and uh-huh. we have taste tests and things like that for kids. Uh, this particular age group of kids are 7 to 13, and they had never tasted some of the most basic things that you would assume that you would just, you know, buy, pick up at the grocery store. Right. Strawberries, raspberries, never had, like, raw carrots and, 
and and dip. Never had like a real fresh fish, like just salmon cooked, grilled. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. never had you know healthy type foods prepared in certain ways, and we were, I mean, appalled. When you work with kids, you have to keep your face, you know, you have yeah. to keep your face up. Yeah, you <laughs> do. Trying to, you know, tell them how great they are for trying the foods and, and tasting them, but simultaneously thinking, what in the world? You know, why have you never had a raspberry? Like, why do you not know what a raspberry is? Yeah. And um, a lot of it may be because the parents can't afford it, because they've never had it. It could be. Um, I think... Also, we need to implore our schools. I know schools are on a budget, but, you know, our schools, at least if the homes can't introduce it, at least if our schools would introduce those things. And it doesn't have to be every single day that they have, you know, raspberries or whatever. But, um, yeah, you're bringing up. I'm glad to hear you pile on with me, Kay, because we know that's happening out there and we need we just need to do better. When you I bring think up we love. take it take us for granted what we you know whoever we are have and what others don't, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we have to take opportunities at every hand to not make assumptions because I know I was certainly making assumptions, but not make assumptions that some people don't know or have had or experienced even some of the most basic things. Right. Thanks, Kay. We appreciate that call. You made a very some very good points, Keith. I think you had something to say. Yeah, one thing that you know, I'm, you reminded me of is we've had some interactions with some folks, and if someone doesn't know a certain type of food and they're on a limited income and they have X number of dollars to spend at the store, they're not going to spend that money on something that they don't know if they like or not. So they're not willing to take risks with food. Um, So they're going to get the things that they're familiar with and they're going to leave behind the things that they may like, but they just don't know it yet because they haven't been exposed to it. Right. Another good point. All right. Let's stay on the lines. We have Edward and Jackson. Hi, Edward. Hello, how you doing this morning? Doing great. Thanks for calling. Yeah, listen, uh, when I went to school uh, in first grade, up on the board, before anything else was taught, they had the four food groups, vegetables and, you know, meat mm-hmm. and uh, dairy and mm-hmm. grains, and they and they taught us that's what, that's what we needed to have. And my mother would cook basically that, you know, nothing really expensive, but she'd have, you know, some potatoes and some kind of like meat or tuna fish or uh, uh, like on Fridays, uh, you know, we'd have some kind of fish because we were Catholic and uh, we never had a lot of sodas and we never, and she made uh, iced tea or we had, uh, you know, yeah. you get milk, but uh, <clears throat> none of this junk food much. And uh, if, if everybody would stop buying the junk food and just buy the health, basic healthy stuff, which I'm sure most people could afford, you wouldn't have the obesity rate and the, uh, you know, the, the people need to, you know, uh, parents uh, uh, needed an excess as an example. Instead yeah. of taking kids to McDonald's, you know, spend that. You can go to the Dollar Tree. You can go to the, uh, 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 like, Save-A-Lot, and you can get a, make a good, healthy meal for four for less than $10 instead of wasting that money on that junk, greasy food. You know, what gets me is that, that commercial for the, uh, um, the one they're showing all those, Greasy hamburgers and all that sizzling 
I hear you, Edward, and I know it's so frustrating, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, we talk about this on radio all the time. We succumb to the advertisers. It's what is advertised, and that's why we need to make sure that we promote good, healthy eating and try to outweigh all that advertising and how delicious this horrible stuff is. Um, that we are supposed to be eating if we just wouldn't listen to the advertisers about those things. So the other thing, too, is the cost. All right. Well, we're going to squeeze in our last caller, Loretta. Hi, in Vicksburg. Thanks for calling. Can you quickly tell us what your thought is? Yes. uh, I just I see so much fresh food wasted at grocery stores. I don't know if there's some system that people can set up for gleaning Mm -hmm. um, just because I see so much waste, you know. Yeah, actually, Keith, go ahead and talk about that because that's a good good point, Loretta. Thanks for calling. It is, and it's a it's a challenge that uh, you would think would be really simple. It's something where you could just show up and grab food and consolidate it and get it to folks that need it. But um, there, it is a little bit more challenging than that, uh, just because of some of the legislation that's out there. There are groups that are doing it. There are groups that are getting stuff that are getting overstock and they're getting seconds from. Uh, grocery stores, uh, the gleaners here in Jackson and the Society of St. Andrew, they do a really good job of of connecting with some of those folks to get that excess produce and get it turned around and repurposed uh, into uh, organizations that are distributing distributing it. Yeah, really good point. Mm-hmm. And I know there's been a lot of attention to that lately, and there needs to be more attention yeah. to that. So in our last minute, Leanne, will you tell us how – people can learn more about So Reap Feed and um, and what they can look for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can visit us online at SoReapFeed.org um, and we're on Facebook and Instagram as well or you can come by the farm anytime. We'd love to see people at the farm. So, and where is your farm located? We're on the corner of Northside Drive in Manhattan um, behind Smilo Prep Gray City. So, Pretty awesome work that they're doing, and I want to thank you all for that. Uh, it's it's We just need more people out there helping the community in this amazing way. I think we'll change the face of um, Mississippi and surrounding states if people will just get on board with something like this. So, Keith, Lauren, Leanne, thank you so much for being here. Um, we'll have uh, some numbers on our Facebook page too and I think Lauren's found a couple of recipes for from a couple of callers so we'll have that on there too. So thanks everybody for calling in and listening. Today's show was engineered by my producer Michelle McAdoo. Our call screener was I believe Java Chapman and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here Now coming up next on MPV Think Radio.